11 to the end. It is a wonderful psalm, as we found out the last three or four weeks. Does anyone need a, uh, does anyone need a, prayer sh- a, a lesson? Anybody want a lesson? Dave's on his feet. Might be able to bring you one if you need a lesson. We're good. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If we would just stop right there, if that would, that would really do a lot for our own country, wouldn't it? If all of us would teach ourselves and our children and grandchildren. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Aren't you glad for that? The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth, they should be shaking in their boots when they read such a verse. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth them, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such be as of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. That is a psalm you should just, man, it's like, wow, you want to be encouraged. Look at all those things, and I'm not sure we're going to get it all done tonight because it is a wonderful psalm. I don't want to skip over things. First of all, question number one on your, out, on your, on your lesson, according to Hebrews 1.14, who are... Ministering spirit sent forth the minister for them who shall be, who shall be saved, etc. So that's that verse there. Who are the ministering spirits in Hebrews 1.14? The angels, right. Who shall be heirs of salvation? I somehow skipped that part, heirs of salvation. It is the angels. Two, does the Bible say specifically that every believer has a particular guardian angel? Is the word guardian even in our scriptures? A version, the authorized version, that answer is no. However, they do are sent for ministering spirits. So you've got one, they are sent, but they're not specifically necessarily assigned to us. They might, they might not be, but they are, we can say with certainty, used as ministering spirits sent forth to minister for all them who shall be heirs of salvation. Three, why might we say that humans shall, will be trespassers if they end up in the lake of fire? Exactly, and designed for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41, if you want the reference for that. Four, we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. Very good. And 34, 10, what animal roars because of want or lack? The lung, young lions, exactly. So, but they roar, we don't have to do it, we don't have to be desolate because God is our provider. And your outline, two, for, number one was David's praise. Number two is David's proclamation. And we have the summons in 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Question number 18, what do you think David meant by children here? Different ideas. Some believe it's actually children. Some believe it's emotional children. Some believe it's maturity-wise. Some believe it's those who are following him. Now, remember the situation. They're in a cave. They've been uh, a duelum. They're successfully saved from he was, from Gath. He's been watched over by God regarding Saul. And so we have these men who've gathered to him, and they're going to listen to him. So Spurgeon thinks that though a warrior and a king, the psalmist was not ashamed to teach children. Teachers of youth belong to the true peerage. Their work is honorable, and their reward shall be glorious. In your outline, children are the most hopeful persons to teach. Wise men who wish to propagate their principles take care to win the year ear of the young. We have seen that 
any culture, if they, they want our children, they want your grandchildren. They want, if we can get the children, as a play teller, Socrates says, give me a child till he's seven, I don't care who has him afterwards, pretty much what he said. Because they're so impressionable. That's why you who are working in children's ministries, keep on keeping on. My brother said they had a girl saved to his school today and a boy saved last week up in Chillicothe. So he was praising the Lord for how God has worked. And his school said, God's doing things in our school. Wonderful. We find Matthew Henry says, David in this letter, later, latter part of the psalm, undertakes to teach children, though a man of war and anointed to be king, he did not think it below him. That's why you and I, as we, we should never get too old to work with children. Not, I'm not saying you have to teach them in school. I taught school for seven years in a Christian school, and that was enough for me, teaching. And so Andrew Smiley, uh, that was it. The discipline. I just struggled with discipline. People, I just want you to sit there and do what I say. Sing when you're supposed to sing. Write when you're supposed to write. Take your testament and don't be acting up. I just, how hard is that? Well, it's harder than that for them than it is than what you want. And so I had the discipline about the, being fair. Isn't it hard to be fair as a parent, being fair with your children and grandchildren? Uh, 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 grandchildren just spoiling to death. But, but being fair with your children, it is hard. And so I struggled with that. And that was my least favorite part of teaching. I love to teach. I had one lady today, bless her heart, she just does not listen. And I say, no, here's, here's what you do with your mouse, and here's how we do this. I will come back just a few moments later, and she's clicked all over and opened up all these things, and I've got to stop the class. And, okay, let me get you fixed here. No, stop right here. Oh, I'm, and I, don't, I, I think she really would. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And you feel terrible. So, uh, you know, and so I just had to, and finally the lady said, as she closed, a new lady came today, she said, Thank you for being so patient. Now, I had eight people, seven on their own computers at one time, teaching them, six of them, how to develop an email address. Now, you may not think that's a very big deal. Let me just tell you, when you've got seven different people and you've got seven different questions from all over and you're trying to answer them all and teach your class together, and it just keeps you hopping. Let me just say, keeps you hopping. But I am glad for the men. I'm really hoping to get uh, more and more involved in the ministry with it and a good, uh, have some time later after the computer class is over to talk about spiritual things. It's interesting, though, that we are in a culture that is so uh, wanting to change. We are in a post-truth culture. I'm going to read just for a moment from this book, uh, Hope of Nations. How do we define post-truth? Now, we are in a post-truth culture, whether you want to believe it or not, but this is really what we're in. The Oxford Dictionary defines post-truth as... Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal beliefs. In other words, post-truth thinking defines reality by feelings more than by facts. In the simplest sense, a post-truth ideology is a view of the world in which reality and mortality are defined by a person's emotions, feelings, local culture, or subjective personal criteria rather than by objective facts or fixed standards such as written law or immutable principles. Exactly what I saw yesterday at one of the centers. Well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. How can we know we're going to go to heaven or not? Well, I I just don't feel like we can. you, You can know. 
You see the difference there? It's, and today, a lot of the culture, they're living their lives by their feelings. How does it make me feel? And if I can get a thumbs up, I mean, I did like the little thing about honking geese thing. About, I like that. Encourage me. One little thing. So you can imagine the more likes and the thumbs up I get on my Facebook, which I'm not doing that for, the, you know, whatever. But you can imagine some people live and die almost by that today. So we are to be teaching our children the facts from God's word Again, I told you Sunday that in the last several few decades, the history of Western civilization of our own nation has been left off, not even taught in most public universities anymore. Now, so question 19, what was David determined to teach his men and followers? The what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, I think put the fear of God. If you put put the fear of God in them, I think sometimes that's a good thing. We need to. I mean, as a parent, I want you know you want to do that. Maybe you know don't do that ever again. And so you know maybe I don't know how you do it, but that's what we really need is a reverential fear, and I think a fear of God, a reverential fear of who God is. But what's going to happen if I neglect God who came to die for me? Does this or will this, teaching the fear of God, have an effect on those who are taught? Yes. Can you imagine how it changes your life? If you've been taught that God is real, the Bible's true, how that, well, your whole worldview changes. If you've been taught there is no God, you're just an accident of nature, you're one of a random event, and you have no eternal destiny at all, well, I can live however I want to live. What makes a difference? Whether I live 50 years or five years or whatever it is. The fear of the Lord. Now, there's four fears I listed, I think, in your outline. Mundane which we fear to commit simply because we might lose some worldly advantage. Servile, we fear to commit sin because of the hell torments due to it. Initial, when we fear to commit it, lest we should lose the happiness of heaven. And filial, when we fear only and entirely because we dread to offend that God whom we love with all of our hearts. Now that is fear. Do you have a fear like that? That... What am I watching or what I'm reading, what I'm thinking, what I'm talking about, what I'm doing, just is displeasing to him. That fear that we might displease God. If we carried that all the way down the road. One of my coworkers was telling me he had a difficult call. He said, he got off the phone, he said to me, he said, you know, you notice I didn't say one cuss word. Woo woo. So that, that, that we had that fear of somebody might hear me. Tim might hear me. I don't want him to hear me say that. How about God hear me? Far more important, infinitely more important, what God thinks. Thomas Gattaker, who wrote in 1637, listen to this, in the book called The David's Instructor. For what shall it avail you to be cunning or smart in Virgil and Homer, those two authors, if your lives and course be not consonant or in line with the rules and laws of Christianity, to have knowledge of the creatures when you are ignorant of the Creator, to have learned what whereby you may live a while here and neglect that whereby you may live eternally hereafter. He's saying basically, why are you so worried about worldly things and then disconcerned about spiritual things? Because that's the end result is eternity hereafter. Why is that central when the Bible is being neglected? And that was in 1637. There's the summons, verse 12, there's the subject. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days 
that he may see good. Question 20 is how many people do not want to live to a good old age? Well, there's very few who do not. Perhaps they've lost their spouse and they want to go on to heaven. I can understand. I mean, I, I, I see that point. In Canada, they actually had last year 10,000 people who committed voluntary suicide in, in, in euthanasia, euthanasia. And in March of this year, they're going to add mental illness as well as a, also a possibility of being able to go through euthanasia. I'm sorry. It's a very serious thing. I'm not, I'm not stumbling intentionally. The killing of yourself. 10,000 people in one year and our next door neighbor. So it comes, there are some who don't want to live. Now, if you were born today, I heard this morning on the briefing, Wall Street Journal said, you, if you were born today, your life expectancy is 79 years plus. Now, I have read also that it's about 76 now here in America. So if you, if you put those two together, you know, maybe if that's the worldwide 79 years. In America, it's about 76.1 to 76.4 is the average life expectancy of someone born or living today. So why do people, what's the goals? What man is he that desireth life? Well, what do people want to do? Well, here's some things people wrote down. Goals. Get finances in order. Get out of debt. Learn something new. Get more organized. Buy a new home. Exercise more. Spend more time with friends and family. Travel more. Do something nice for myself. Learn a new skill. Buy a new car. Lose weight. Volunteer more often. Disconnect from technology. Remodel my home, quit my vices, redecorate my home, cook more frequently, organize my closet, and bring a pet into the family. That was in the New York Post. Those are all, not, they're good or bad. Another one said, being happy, my goal, being healthy, enjoying life, financial freedom, peace of mind, pursuing ideals, achieving self-knowledge. I'm seeing nothing here about Growing in my knowledge and love for our wonderful Lord. Or even growing, I don't even see growing spiritually. I don't even see reading my Bible. Do you see how far we have come from a country that was founded, I'm not saying all by born-again Christians, but I'm saying by men and women, men who believe the Bible for the most part and the principles found therein, we've come from that to where we are today. A society who doesn't necessarily need God. What man is there that does not want to live to ripe old age, asked one man, that does not want the good life with all the rich rewards. It was a subject calculated to grip the attention of every one of his ruffians cut off from the comforts of home and living always with the hangman's noose over their heads. Look at, hold your finger there and look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Now remember our verses, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good. First Peter three ten. First Peter three ten. By the way, did you a side note? Did you read the devotional this morning? I think it was about the months of Israel. Did anybody read that devotional? How the Israel did not give their months names until the time of the captivity. So they had like the first four were named, and then in the seventh month, in the eighth month. In the ninth month, because they didn't have actual names until the captivity. So if you look in the Old Testament time, why they didn't give, why they didn't name out all the months necessarily, because they didn't have names. I, I did not really realize that before now. So it's in your devotional. I think it's in the Call to Glory today or yesterday. There are copies of that back there on the table, by the way, if you want to read that. First Peter 3.10. For he that will love life and see good days 
Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that he speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, where in the world did Peter get those words from? Was what we're reading. So these words were so important. The Holy Spirit prompted Peter, led Peter, inspired Peter to include them nearly word for word in the New Testament. So we can be assured, what man is he that desires life? Well, how are we going to, what are we supposed to act like? Well, verse 13 of our text, back over in Psalm 34, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile, etc. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seneca, the fourth uh, around 4, 4 B.C., said these words. He was a Roman philosopher. He said, The benefit of life is not in the length, but in the use of it. He sometimes lives the least that lives the longest. And also Tolkien said, Proto asked Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, in your outline, I said, and so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. We all have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I'm not advocating everything Tolkien wrote, but I am saying the principle is true for us. We have to take what God has given us, whether it's short or long, and what am I doing for God? You will, I can almost say, as Mr. Momick and I talked about Sunday, I think it was, we will wish we had given him more. When you see what he has done for us and what he's planned for us, wow, I, I missed it. I should have. And I think back now, I should have practiced the piano a whole lot more when I was younger instead of playing basketball. So I played so, basketball so much that my fingers split on the ends because I thought I was going to be some kind of basketball player, you know? And I should have been on the piano practicing a lot more. I should have listened to my mom and done things that, you know, of course, we look back. You can look back and get to, man, I wish I'd have done those things. You can't get that back. Where you are now, let us go from here. Where do we go from here? We go on to serve the Lord with more fervency, to see people in need. And that's so often, I've been so busy, and we get so busy. Do we see people in need? I know some of you do. But there are people in our church even that are in need. And isn't it blessing? It is more blessed to give than receive, right? It is. But yeah, I don't practice that near as much. I don't, why do I want that? You see what I'm saying? Why do we? Well, if I do this, then I going to take. Will not God provide for us if we are helping other people for the right? He will. So I, I told Mrs. Bates when I brought her some of those cinnamon biscuits a few months ago, I said, I just want to be a more of a giving person. And she, she had to, I explained the whole to her, you know, Mildred, she gave me that look. I said, and so I had to explain it to her. We should be giving. I know some of you already are. You can do that very well, far more than I. But th- this is the idea. We are here, left here, for the purpose of serving God. All of us don't give. Every, we understand that. But all of us working together... What has he called you, you to do? All of us can't teach computers. Everybody else wanted to do it. To the seniors, I so enjoy that. I enjoy that, getting talking to them. Not sure they enjoy it. And I actually talk slow there. I've learned that I must talk slow. Now, I don't talk like this. My mom hated it when I would talk to her like this. She would go, Timothy, 
And that, of course, when she said that, I knew that I had better cut it out, whatever I was doing. But they want to, you know, I have to talk slow so that everyone, and I stop for questions. What's God called us to do? That was the, that was the subject. Here's the sermon, starting verse 13. It was such a good sermon, as I said earlier, that the Holy Spirit saw fit for Peter to include it in Peter, First Peter chapters. We know it wasn't a chapter when he wrote, but first book of first letter of Peter. Now listen to the exposition. I think I'm getting ready to turn to page three on your outline. Take heed to first of all your words. Thirteen. Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Matthew twelve thirty seven. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I was listening to a man just today on the phone, and he was talking to a person about a warranty. And the person was saying, no. He goes, I remembered what you say and the email you sent. Do I need to send you the email back that you recall? Well, that's not how we do it now. I'm not so much concerned how you do it now. This is what, when we bought the product, you promised to us. Well, and there was, and there was that, for thy words, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Question six, page three. Had David struggled with this very directive when he was in Gath? By his words he shall be justified. By his words I shall be condemned. Absolutely. Remember, David was pretending to be absolutely insane. Scratching, letting the things dribble down. I don't know how I'd do it. I couldn't dribble down. I could be down my chin, I guess. Maybe dribble down my chin and stuff like that. The, the spittle. Down his beard. Scratching the... Now, my cats, one cat thinks that the Jack and... Now, Jack and... a bathroom has doors on both ends, that if he comes in this one, he must go out that one. I say, I say, Ivan, you can go out the very same door you came in. That's what he wants. Or if the other cat's on that side, he wants inside. And there's a, he acts, uh, this, it doesn't need to be that way. David didn't need to do what he did in Gath. When did it start? Now think back with me. We've talked about this. When did David's problem start? I'll give you a hint. Before he ever got to Gath. He goes in chapter 21 to Nob. Nob. There's the tabernacles there. And he talks to a certain priest named Ahimelech. And so he's there. And then we find then that the sword of Goliath is there. And he gets the showbread for his men. But what does he do? It's called an L. An I and an E. He lies. Four times, Philip says, in one verse. So he's, he's gotten out of God's will. He's not following God. He's not following the directives. And that he didn't, eventually ends up in Gath, where he has to act crazy. They didn't have to act that way, but he did in order to escape. And God preserves him and brings him through that. And he writes Psalm 34. But had he struggled, question six, absolutely. We might... Think these words. David might have been thinking these words. I don't know how many of you know this, men, but down there in Gath, I disgraced myself and I disgraced the Lord. I said a lot of very foolish things. I wish I could relive the last few weeks, but I cannot. I can only pray that you will never relive them. I pretended to be mad. I am ashamed of some of the things I said. I did not know my tongue could employ such evil, nor my lips speak such guile. And so I beg you, Take heed to your words. Doesn't it make a difference sometimes when someone who's gone through this very thing says, you know what, I've tried that. 
And you probably won't get very far with that. Now, sometimes my dad would say that or somebody would say that. I would have to try it anyway because, you know, I know. And then, you know, well, you know what? Dad was right. And my dad in heaven has gotten smarter almost every, probably every year of my life. My dad, he's not even here on earth anymore, but he's gotten smarter and smarter and smarter because, you know, he was right about all those things. And I wasn't quite as right as I thought I was. Matthew Henry says, before we pray, perhaps David, in warning us that, he, we, that we speak no guile, reflects upon his own sin and changing his behavior. That they that truly repent of what they have done amiss will warn others to take heed of doing likewise. Guard or be careful, diligence, that dangerous member of the tongue, lest it utter evil from the evil Rather evil, and from that evil will recoil upon thee and mar the enjoyment of thy life, says Spurgeon. And another man says, A crafty schemer lives like a spy in the enemy's camp in constant fear of exposure to execution. Clean and honest conversation by keeping the conscience at ease promotes happiness, but lying and wicked talk stuffs our pillow with thorns and makes life a constant whirl of fear and shame. Guard what you say. Have you ever not, have, have we all experienced, I would say, this generalization, boy, I wish I'd have never said that. And you had to take it back and you had to go apologize. Well, I just, I let, said things I should not have said. Guard your tongue, guard your words. People are watching. The lady comes in today, a new, a new computer class taker, and she had a computer wrapped up in a bag, and she says, I'm going to go have breakfast, I'm going to go over and have a snack, etc. I'm going to leave the computer here, and don't you put anything on there that I shouldn't see. I said, ma'am, I said, I promise you, I won't. I preach against that. Come to find out, she goes to Gospel Light Baptist Church over in Ashland. So we're on the same page. And so we had some time afterwards, and I helped her on the computer. I said, ma'am, I preach against that. I would never do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to leave it in the bag till you get back, and you can take it out of the bag. I'm not touching it. People are watching. People are watching all the time. May we, but more important than that, our God is watching, isn't he? He is. So make sure your lips keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking for by our words will be justified or condemned. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for the warning from David. Abundantly clear. I think he's speaking out of a heart of experience that he had done these things and was absolutely abhorred about himself, abhorred himself for doing that. And he was trying to train his men, perhaps even children listening, that they should guard their lips. Lord, it, it comes right on down to us. Peter carried it on to us. Holy Spirit. Carried on to us, that we should guard our words. May we be about your business. May we not do anything that reflects poorly, badly upon you as our Savior. Bring us back again Sunday, please, and may we have opportunity to share your good news with others. In Jesus' name I pray.